Hi, Rav. Hey, Jeremy. Oh, cool. We switched it up. You said hi. Yeah. (laughs) I got in there. We started talking before the episode, and I stopped you for a minute because you have some very exciting news. Oh, that I was, like, trying out a new router. Yeah. A new internet router. There's a new machine between us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The art happens here. Uh, in this case, yeah, I upgraded the frame. Maybe that's like the internet art reference. <laughs> um, if the if the internet is, or the network itself, the router is the material, then yeah, I upgraded the frame. Yeah. I got, I'm, it's my second time trying an Eero mesh router. Oh yeah, uh, you like, were disappointed used... at first. Huh? Yeah, so this time... Like they're on six, because your like, house is so big, it requires a multi-router setup. Well, not my current house. So I'm living no. in a tiny apartment still. Um, update on on the move. We're moving to a larger home for sure. Um, pending financing amid crazy <laughs> interest rate hikes, but um, that house has like different levels. It's kind of weird. Like it's it's not a huge house. It's maybe like three times bigger than the one we live in right now, which sounds really big but and for our european friends it's like from 60 square meters to 180 but a real house maybe, do you have a yard as well mm, there's like a front kind of like a front uh, terrace area or front uh, courtyard or do you have a deck or something? like where will yeah, you grill yeah. yeah there's a there's a there's a back terrace okay. and then there's like a front courtyard yeah so like in europe it would in be calgary a, yeah it is in calgary but did yeah. i just dox you <laughs> no, that's fine. I want people to know. Yeah. No, um, you're going to live in one of those places where you beg people to come. Yeah. No. Well, I mean, I've been living in Toronto with a, and you've never visited me here. We're we're getting together in Canada for the first time, which I, I hope I'm, is a trend. I'm coming to Canada. I'm I'm visiting Canada for the first time in my life. We're we're renting a house outside of Quebec for a week, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully, it's warm enough to swim. Yeah, and you're going to experience like. It's like hybrid. It's not really Europe. And a lot of people will say, like Americans say, ah, it's like Europe here. <laughs> like especially in Quebec. It's, it's, um, it's slightly vulgar Europe. Like America is really vulgar Europe and Canada is well, slightly I'm, vulgar. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to taint your experience. I'm going to wait and, yeah. and see what no, you think. Let's say that the, the, the way people interact with each other is probably nicer than in Europe, but the food portions and the amount of butter used is probably more. Oh yeah, we yeah, yeah definitely in Quebec there'll be more butter for sure, like better dairy. No, no, yeah, but like, I'm saying that that the French version of uh, the Canadian version of French food is a bit more vulgar than the French version. Oh, I see. Yeah, I don't know. I've been I mean, a, I've been a little bit on a high horse or whatever you call it. <laughs> uh, the, I, I've been trying to get back into more healthy food, and uh, and I noticed that a lot of people are upset when you do that. When you get into healthy food? Oh, because well, you're judging them with every bite. Yeah, and, and it's it, I had that when I stopped drinking alcohol in 2005, and people would get really upset, and it's not fun to get drunk in front of a sober person. Mm. So they're like, what's wrong with you? You're ruining it for everyone, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But now it's like, if you don't have dessert, you're also not a cool person. Or, uh, oh, I see. Yeah, it, most nice. social gatherings are about doing unhealthy things. So you're like a killjoy. We're yeah. we're, we're here having the time of our lives. What are you doing? With yeah, your yeah, wet yeah. blanket. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. There's good wine and stuff, but uh, you know, uh, you can not have that. Yeah. I don't drink <laughs> I very much anyway. Yeah. So yeah, you can observe. Yeah, but then uh, d- a Canadian wine glass is bigger than French wine glasses. 
<laughs> I imagine. Your American experience, like, also, you're, you know, like, you live in New York, which is the most no, European city. No, it's it's also Brazil. It's It seemed wherever Europeans went to conquer a place, they're like... <laughs> they're like we need a bigger bigger glass. grill, bigger cow, bigger guns. Like, and if you go to barbecue in Brazil, it's insane. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. So it it felt like the Europeans went somewhere and like enslaved people and grilled bigger yeah. pieces of meat. Yeah. Upsized this. Well, I mean, it's a bigger territory too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um. We'll see. Yeah. Anyway, that's coming soon to a future podcast. Your commentary on Canada. Uh, but you will, I think you will visit me uh, out west at some point because there's a there's mountains which are more attractive than me, obviously. Yeah. Um, well, the the thing is, I can talk to you on Skype. I can't see the, the mountains through a photo. Is just not the same. Yeah, it's like you know, but a Smithson artwork. You, or you have to admit the 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 long distance friendship we have. You probably talk more with me than a lot of friends in Toronto. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so that that I do think it, that's not a cynical remark. It's really just uh, oh, yeah, that like dream of, of, of remote friendships. It, yeah. it works with some people. Some people it doesn't. But I feel like the relationship with my family and there there has been a transition. But I think now we're at a point where people are really comfortable with long distance communication. Well, I mean, if you tried to travel this summer, it would have been a nightmare. Like by yeah, by I was I was in Schiphol. It was a nightmare. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, yeah. I like it was so bad that people would stand in line at security for five hours, and, and then they would just close the gate and be like, "Sorry." Oh God! And, yeah, and, I saw those like pictures of lines out like into the street. Like, yeah, outside. outside of the airport. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's crazy. So I I was supposed to fly back on a Sunday, and I moved it to a Tuesday. It was a bit safer, and then. It was still, I got there four hours ahead to be safe, and then the flight is two hours delayed, so that means you're at the airport for six hours, which maybe in the past would have been two hours. Is it bad of me to say, like, I really miss the pandemic? Like, you could fly uh, uh, Travel was really <laughs> travel good. Was yeah, corona nostalgia, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I was just as unsafe as I am now. Actually, I was probably safer because people were more cautious. No, it, 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 it was wonderful because I would be on a flight and... You know, the display before the flight, they show you how many people checked in. Mm-hmm. And I would just count it. You're just waiting, sitting. And, nothing. and it was like 8 to 10% capacity. Yeah, I remember taking a photo of um, Which is not like the a best departures the board. And there were like, yeah. there were only two planes departing from this airport I was in. On, in I was in D.C. at the time. Yeah. I think. No, no, no. I was here in Toronto, actually. Uh, we yeah, we actually, Germany. yesterday we had two friends who were on a layover in New York for seven hours. So we decided... To go to the TWA terminal. Do, do you know about oh, that? Oh, it's so cool. I've, Have you like, been? I work, I work with someone who raves about it constantly and, and posts their well, For our stories. listeners, uh, JFK has several terminals, and there was one from the 60s that was an architectural marvel. Uh, and it, it, it really looks like a Mad Men era set or maybe Space Odyssey something. And it, it was closed for a long time, but they revived it as a hotel. And so you go there, and if you have a long layover, you can sleep there. There's a swimming pool. There's a nice restaurant. And so we met our friends there, and you're just like, wow, flying used to be really nice. Yeah. That, that's my point. That what, what I, and I, I talked to my mom, and she's like, oh, yeah, flying was really expensive. It was for the happy few, and it was very luxurious. The seats were bigger. The serv- What you now get in first class is still not as good as it used to be for a regular t- ticket. So mm-hmm. um I don't know if it's going back in that direction where flying 
has grown too much and they just have to make the tickets more expensive so people don't go as much like interesting that yeah. that idea that you were teaching in new york and we just fly once every two weeks it feels like we're in a um i think like we're think actually like, like one the, step the, away from the, like the, you the, take like a pill and then they like just they insert you into like a, a plastic bag and roll you into like a pod yeah. or something <laughs> yeah <laughs> that, yeah like, squeeze airlines <laughs> <laughs> vacuum sealed yeah. But don't, don't you, you think that, that that idea that you were teaching in New York for a while and going back and forth kind of seems absurd now? Like, that's a different oh, era. That is a different era. That's true. Yeah, the commuter flying era. I think we'll have to somehow get back to it. But like, but I, I wonder, because it, it, my, my point about our friendship and doing... Mm-hmm. Actually, when we see each other in person, we don't record because it's technically it's more complicated. It's just easier when we're mm-hmm. both in a different room. Um. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, it. COVID was terrible, but there's a lot of, uh, it was also an experiment and we learned a lot of lessons. Yeah, it's weird though. Like it could be like, because we always think of this like march of progress, quote unquote, or whatever, right? And that there could be things we've experienced in our lifetimes, right? Because apparently that, that like future generations won't. Like, for example, like we're not going to burn carbon fuels so no. recklessly. Probably, no, I, right? I mean, I... I I might have mentioned this before on the podcast, but I, I mean, I was one of the few people that was traveling because I have the both nationalities, etc. But I was in Paris with the publisher and just talking about looking at art fairs, thinking we can't go back to that. And then oh, I'm yeah. talking about September 2020, and we're just thinking about like all these people flying around, all these crates, but yeah, we'll back like, with Avengers, when and Ryan they're, they're Air, doing like, really well. So it's. Yeah. No, is Ryanair like, still like one euro to fly though? Like, is that like? Well, that's that... maybe what's going to change. Where train tickets are more expensive than flying. I heard that though. The way so the airlines don't make money off of um, the flying. It's off like the in America anyway. It's off their point systems, like air miles. Oh, so um, they're basically banks. They're like yeah. credit card companies. Yeah, they they operate yeah. like banks, yeah. which Apple is also becoming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, everything becomes a bank. Everything services. Yeah. If you want to top hat in a cigar, you have to become a bank, basically. Have you, if you've played Monopoly, you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yesterday we watched a movie <laughs> and it was about two competing decks or a TV show. What was it? It, it, was just, it just feels like we live in an era where everything is proposals. Everything is ideas and uh, mm-hmm. nothing's executed, but you, you skim off the idea. Yeah, Dan, Daniel Pink has a book called To Sell as Human. It's kind of an offensive title, but his point <laughs> is like... The- <laughs> that uh, that almost ninety percent of activity in our in our working lives, if you live, especially if you live in the service economy, is sales. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You're always yeah. trying to convince someone of something. Yeah. 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 Let me tell you about an opportunity. <laughs> but even internally, like like I pitch every week on something, right? And there, like the Amazon culture to get rid of, like Amazon had a very big influence on tech culture, and to get around the like culture of of basically pitch presentations, like decks and stuff. Um, they introduced the concept of like these long form written documents, but they are also written in a format called PRFAQ, which is literally a press release, which is like selling the press on the RA. But back to the lessons learned from the pandemic, I think is an interesting theme. So I remember thinking about the art fair and it being such a resource hog and so inefficient because in the end, art is conceptual. It's something that happens in the mind. Why do we have to ship all these big sculptures? Yeah, and it seems the lesson has not been learned at all. Everything's everybody 
it's just the circus is back. Uh, it's fine. Uh, but it's always seemed absurd to me. There's a couple of videos on YouTube where they have a camera just going around Art Basel Unlimited, the, the big area with big gestures, big sculptures, big paintings. Mm -hmm. And it just, to me, it it's almost looks like a going through an old industrial town. It's just kind of an absurd scale. I mean, that whole era of art fairs. Yeah, but, but supposedly was, the sales this year were great. So yeah. Oh really? I thought it was yeah because prior to the pandemic it was already in decline, right? Yeah, I I don't know, but maybe right now a lot of people see it as a safe place to park your money. Mm, get your money out of those NFTs and into yeah. those hard, <laughs> cold hard yeah. objects. Yeah, but all, all the critique of uh, the blockchain using so much energy, and then you see Art Basel Unlimited, they make sculptures that are like the size of four classrooms, and you have to store those somewhere climate controlled for 400 years. Mm. Like that's the plan with art, like 400 years minimum climate controlled. I mean, even on the blockchain, you've got to have like servers that are climate controlled for like a few hundred years. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, on that note, yeah. Yeah. I mean, but but uh, that idea of lessons learned, uh, flying is back with a vengeance. Uh, art fairs are back with a vengeance. And uh, I'm jealous that you got to experience this TWA thing. I hear it's amazing. So, well, like, the next time you come to New York, um, you fly just, or stay there. Well, I, I think it's fun if you have a departure, let's say, 4 p.m., and that just to go three hours early and, and go there and then go to your flight. Mm. Does the, did they like, do they have a better version of the SkyTrain, too? Like, when SkyTrain no, it's the was same, good? No, it's the same AirTrain, yeah. <laughs> okay. No, no, but... Yeah, it's uh, called the AirTrain, right, not the SkyTrain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it does make you, I think, Dubai Airport and the airports in Ch China right now that are all new, they probably have that energy of wow, this is how glorious travel can be. And all the legacy airports in the U.S., you're like, how can we mm. make it as miserable as possible? Well, I don't know. Yeah, I don't want to yeah. assume. But yeah, American airports pretty are pretty bad. I, I have to say it's specifically the New York airports. And they just upgraded LaGuardia, so that one is not bad. But I had this impression because of New York that all airports <laughs> in the U.S. are bad. But Atlanta is pretty good and like... Charleston is pretty good, and like I, that's because of law. The laws in New York State actually um, that prevented New York from upgrading its airports. What what are those the, laws? Well, that the the basically that the government in New York owned part of the airports. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I was reading, of course, about the restaurants at the airports. So I was like, yeah. why is there why not even so bad, yeah. why is there not even Chipotle? I would settle for a Chipotle. <laughs> and no. it's something. Yeah, the government owns it, so that the. It basically all the restaurants are DMVs and they have the atmosphere yeah. of a DMV. They'd like tender it out to like you know the lowest bidder. Like, but I remember I was, uh, usually I'm at Terminal Four, and the food is okay. And I was at Terminal, I don't know, one, different airline, and I for some reason I was there way too early, and there was only one place to order food, and it was a burger that came out of a microwave like in a plastic package and then some potato chips on the plate and it was like $22 like this yeah. is not great well if you're on your way to Europe like a, like you know it's funny too like even if you stop over in Iceland or something you know you just like go to like a little stall and the bread is like better than any bread in North America yeah and the coffee is like suddenly and, richer and but you're things like, are changing in the sense that I, I always was like yeah, at least, you know, Amsterdam is pretty... The Netherlands is kind of boring, but everything works, and the airport is great. And now mm -hmm. they have the worst airport in the world as far as cancellations and delays. Yeah. yeah, so it's really... 
such a brand damage for the Netherlands. Mm. Well, um, should we get on to this week's topic? Uh, sure, yeah. Um, all right, so we have a topic here from Nadine. It's kind of an interesting one. Uh, Nadine writes in, so I'll, I'll quote sort of what she wrote in here. Um, she's in Melbourne, Australia, and she writes, as the daughter of an unsuccessful artist, whatever that means, uh, maybe like me, Although I was creative and a visual thinker, I shunned any artistic practice from a very young age, having witnessed the misery and frustration it brought to my mother. Instead, I pursued a career in sciences before sidestepping into design, from where then merged a fascination for model making. And now I found myself again in a master's degree of fine art uh, after trying out jewelry and a few other things. So I don't know why I got here, but I have a lot of moments recently where I feel out of my depth. My question is, having only the most basic understanding of art history and never really having exhibited any artwork, how the hell am I supposed to absorb, distill, and understand the whole library of art history and theory in order to gain perspective and a deeper understanding and articulation of my own practice? feel totally overwhelmed and belittled by what I should know and what I don't know. I feel like I'm chasing my tail. Am I an imposter, or is this what being an academic system is all about? Any advice would be amazing. So, you know, it's a little bit of a rhetorical question in a way, like, um, no, you're not an imposter. We can probably get that out of the way at the start, but where, where should we, where should we start with this one? Well, um, my general point of view is if, if you don't enjoy the making of the work, Mm -hmm. then don't pursue art because it, it, it should be, if you enjoy the making, you've already won because you've had a good time and you've, Mm. you've did, you done, you did something you wanted to do. Like those, uh, those like team building things where you drink wine and paint together with uh, your corporate. Yeah, yeah, it's not the same. But if if you (laughs) if you don't have a a natural urge, like to me, art is like you close your eyes and you have something you want to see that doesn't exist, and you have to make it to see it. You're just curious. It might not even it. It might be kind of hard to make, but you're just like I have this idea. Like I want to make a video of. I don't know, pigeons wrestling in outer space. And, uh, you know, it sounds funny. I want to see what it looks like and I have to make it. And then it it works or it doesn't. But then all the other shit about what other... Every time we have a question of like, dear artists, how do I make it? I just keep thinking like... Well, I don't think that's the question here. I think the question is like, no, no, how do I not feel she, overwhelmed by like, yeah. you know, like no, say no, no. tomorrow you are going to become like, I don't know. Like, no, no, uh, but it's it's a bit of a question. Uh, um, it, to me, art is a very extreme thing, like as a life choice. It's very high, highly likely that you'll fail. So if you're not enjoying the making already, then mm-hmm. it, it it's like, how do I get in the NBA? Also, I don't really like playing basketball. That's yeah, what it that, sounds that's like. A, that's, that, yeah, but or I would look at it the other way, which is like, there. Do you need like a firm understanding of art There's theory? No, rules. no and you art, don't no. need anything. Like, so if you start from that premise, and then like, will you probably pick it up along the way? Um, kind of, but like, you know, people will mention, you know, certain. It's things. case by case. I think. Yeah, but. I, what I've experienced personally quite often, like, yes, there's that type of, that's a type of artist too, right? That's like Derrida said, blah, 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 blah. And by the way, I have a, most art theory is not even art theory, it's social theory. And I have a, I have a degree in sociology before I even started my degree in, in art. Um, and it didn't necessarily, I didn't necessarily feel like super comfortable with stuff. Yeah, but this is the, the underlying thing. Like, I think the question has nothing to do with art history. It has to do with confidence. 
Mm. So th- that's what well, I mean. Early on, you're going to feel like a little bit. Un- well, you need false confidence like early in your career, I think. I, th- I think what you need is to not care. That's the thing. Yeah, but that's like cool. You need to be cool. <laughs> no, no. You need to be in a state where it doesn't even enter your mind, uh, um, uh, the judgment. It, and I don't know how that works, but... But you know, there's that like um, imposter syndrome is very common, not just among early artists, but early designers that I work but with. But it sounds too. like a and generational thing also. No, like even product managers, because I've been like training folks forever. They all like almost everyone who's starting out I talk to has like some form of imposter syndrome. Can we define what uh, for this discussion what imposter syndrome is sort of? Yeah, like a feeling that you are undeserving or not credible enough to participate. Oh, I in... thought imposter syndrome was actually when you win big and you think you've it, it's not really for you because you are not. I think there. that's a later form of it, but early okay. on it's like, do I deserve entry? But what's the difference between imposter syndrome and confidence? Um, it's probably a little bit of the same thing. Like. Yeah. You have low self-esteem would be yeah. another way of describing it. But that's it. that's where I, I empathize with anyone who wants something and doesn't know how to get started. But to me, all the questions we get about, uh, should I go to an art school? How do I get a gallery? Da, 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 da. It's, it's all the same underlying emotion and it has nothing to do with art. So our, our answer yeah. about whether art history is relevant to an artist or not, is not addressing this question. That's, yeah, that's yeah. how I feel. But regardless, like, you know, if we were to, you and I are both, we do know our own little slices of art history. Like I've specialized. No, I know. But if we answer the question about art history, we're already speaking from a place where we're oh. comfortable with uh, our position and we feel like, oh, I'm comfortable making work and sharing it with people I've always been. And then we can talk about, how much yeah, art history it, plays a role, but it, it feels like we've had questions about like selling yourself, questions about like being in the studio versus socializing, all, all mm, these kind of things. Yeah. But it mm-hmm. seems to me, you know how there's a there's an anxiety wave in the in the current generation, and and an anxiety wave as far as like being there's more introverted. The culture is mean, more introverted. What? I have anxiety, so do you. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm saying it feels very different from the 80s where the mindset was more everybody was mean to each other and that was the culture. <laughs> um, I wonder if it was actually like that. The, everyone was there's, just like, there's a book totally. about that, that generation of Richard Prince and all those artists and they call it the hard crowd. And they were all very critical of each other and it was all mm-hmm. about ball busting and like, you're not good enough. And that was the whole, it was, mm-hmm. that was the the cool thing and right now the cool thing is being sensitive everybody's calm and pleasant and uh, make sure everybody's safe yeah i mean that's one one way to look at that's this, how i, I read re- the question yeah i can remember I'll, like hopefully this doesn't come out the wrong way but i early on i i had like a a performance in an exhibition at transmediale in my career and so like very young career early like early like in the first six or seven years of my career. Like, I know it's not that early, but now I'm like so old or whatever. Um, but I, that's ageist of me. Apologies to anyone uh, that thinks I'm super Yeah, young. there you go with the sensitive stuff. Yeah, You yeah, can yeah. make but a anyway, joke, it's okay. Okay, well, anyway, I went to Germany and like, I was on a panel. I was on a panel with Petra Courtright. And Petra was actually a younger artist than me at the time, like newer in her career, but was like by far the bigger celebrity in the room. And... And, like, I was, like, trying to look smart and talk about, like, 
well, you know, Rosalind Krauss says this yeah, in yeah, the history yeah. of video art. And Petro is like, yeah. I just like, like, pick up the tools that I enjoy and I use them. And, you know, I kind of like browse around and I just respond to what I like. And, I, and everyone's like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because the rules of the game is like, oh, you're supposed to quote as many smart people as possible. That makes you look smarter. Well, also, I remember people writing at the time, like, Petra represented a voice of a generation that the establishment didn't understand. Yeah. Like, and they're like, this new internet art generation, yeah, they don't care about our stodgy old art yeah. theory. Yeah, it's all intuitive. They have the whole, all of art history at their fingertips, blah, 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 blah. But they don't even care. Um, so, Well, the, 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 one of the things that came up when I read the question, and uh, it's hard to say this without sounding prejudiced, but the... There's the history of rap and the history of rock music and, and punk, you know. And it seems that the hip-hop world is more ahistorical, that a lot of the young rappers don't know the classics. Mm. And it seems like rock musicians are all like, they know every note of Deep Purple and you can't criticize them and history is so amazing. And I've seen a lot of rap battles where like young rappers make fun of Ice-T for being old and whatever. And, and the rock world is always very respectful of, of history. So mm -hmm. this is a big generalization. There are exceptions. But I th feel like the rap world is much more creative for being ahistorical. And the rock world is kind of stuck, like, oh, Black Sabbath is so amazing, we can never get past it. Well, they say the same thing among entrepreneurs, like, that, and it's kind of been debunked, but that, like, there are so many young entrepreneurs, and it's because if they knew how hard it was to, like, build a business, you know, they wouldn't. So a certain yeah, amount of exactly. naivety if, is, if, like, you, if you do too much research, you give up. <laughs> You'd be like, whoa, wait a second. This I, is not I a good feel idea. that way about New York. Like, if I had run the numbers in advance, I would have never gone. Yeah, I mean, I think that's true with any big decision. Like, I've been sitting in this apartment, you know, we mentioned me getting a bigger place, but, like, I've been in the same place for, like, 15 years, and I've been like, like, clearly, when I it was in my 20s, somehow I could afford this, and now I'm, like, I'm more scared as I get older, as I understand, like, what could go wrong. So I think, like, the naivete of yeah. youth puts yeah. you in this position to, like, take risks that and uh, yeah yeah uh, specifically the history of abstraction in the netherlands everybody's like mondrian and malovich because the stedelijk yeah. has a lot of their works and yeah. and the museum in the hague so there's such a wealth of art history there physically even like even in monetary value they have a disproportionate a disproportionate amount of the resources of any museum go to older works as far mm. as preservation as far as education it's all these works are holy they're sacred yeah yeah and I think in a place like Canada, and maybe New York not as much, there's not as much history, so more of the budget will go to new works. Yeah, and, that's actually and that how kind it's of, structured. But the, I saw an interview with Jan Debitz. He's a Dutch conceptual artist who some of our listeners will know. And he was friends with all the American conceptual artists. They would do shows in the Netherlands, and he would hang out with them. And he said they didn't know that much art history. He was always kind of, he said Solowit knew quite a bit, but the other ones not as much. And then objectively, if you look at it, the Americans just invented a lot of stuff. They didn't know that much. And maybe they made some mistakes. But in that sense, it, it was good. Well, yeah. yeah I mean, but the, but the it, other thing is then it's, rum, it, they, yeah. they were also in an economic center more than the Netherlands. So they had a lot of support. So it's, it's hard to compare whether uh, that baggage of art history is helpful or not. Also, like, important to remind folks that, like, that's like that art history was very narrowly defined by those in power, right? And so there's tons of histories that have been abandoned or lost. Yeah. And some people are reclaiming those or recovering them now or writing yeah, new yeah, histories. Yeah, yeah, for and, sure. 
Yeah. Um, so it's and, but a then very again, difficult I think, uh, question to answer because then but, it's like, should I know art history? And then we're like, well, what about the history of the decorative arts? And what about the history of textile yeah, and ceramics? Yeah. And, like uh, I was working yeah. with a younger artist and sharing some history with them. And, you know, they were an artist of color and they're like, mm, this, I don't like this art history. This is like, this seems like the art history yeah. that excluded That's me. That's a good you point. Uh, I, I, so, I definitely feel right now in the NFT community or the generative art community, a lot of people are like, we want to become part of the canon. We want to be in museums. And I'm thinking there will be multiple art histories. There's no longer that one art history. Mm-hmm. Uh, like there will be the history of screensavers and there will be the history of abstract painting, but they might be valued equally. Are they actually, are people actually worried about that? Like getting their, and I already, I've Some already had an others. N- yeah. I've already had an NFT. Like I have an NFT in a museum right now. Like oh, you're it's ahead not, of me. it's not a, yeah. but it, I think that's like not an if it's just like a when, right? Like, it's yeah, a, yeah, yeah. But, but the, my point is like, um, the, the canon, the idea that there is one art history, there's one book, with it, mm-hmm. and that's the official one. Like, okay, the 90s were these five artists, the 2000s were these five artists, and the book right. picks five people every decade. But I yeah. think that's no longer, it doesn't make sense the same way we don't think of... Uh, well, your hip-hop point was a good one, which is like, there are so many subgenres of everything. Oh, I'm so scared to talk about these things. Like, no, I don't think yeah. it's scary to like think about like the internet allowed for the proliferation of micro yeah, like exactly. slivers of, yeah, of yeah, subculture. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, you know how it's so yeah, funny it's in the like, 90s. It's not like oh, Michael Jackson is the best musician because he's in the history books and uh, uh or the Beatles are the be- I don't like the Beatles at all. So yeah. Well, like it, it's funny in the like 90s how they talked about like oh, we're going to live in a thousand channel universe. Can yeah. you imagine how like narrow that perspective <laughs> was yeah like a thousand <laughs> so i always could do that in the, one afternoon that's a did Sunday. you ever read infinite jest yeah no no yeah oh uh, yes try? yeah i started but didn't <laughs> yeah but the whole premise Imposters of that book I, I i think i skimmed through it and maybe read 20 percent. but <laughs> um the the premise of the book is that there's this videotape that's so entertaining that you give up on life and it's like drugs and that's kind of where we're at with social media. It's just not in in the book. It's this one tape that people pass around, and uh, I might be misquoting the book. That's how I read it. But no, but it's a good point. Which but is, this um, idea in the '90s that there would be this one channel or this one thing that would be so mesmerizing, and I guess that's what TikTok is. But it's not a channel. It's just it's a portal. Yeah, TikTok is representative of like uh, infinite stream uh and yeah. I, it's and it's funny because even I, early internet artists were exploring that like i remember i, I think, um, I think it, it's an interesting theme this idea of the infinite glowing object that we just like staring at like a campfire and mm-hmm. i think a lot of artists in the maybe 10 years ago were trying to make paintings or sculptures or installations that would uh, mirror the infinite nature of the internet. Yeah. So like, like I'm, th- I'm going to make yeah. this installation that just feels so overwhelming. It's like the internet, like the information superhighway, or like it's going to be 1300 projectors with all these video clips. And it's just never as infinite as the internet itself. So you're always, I guess that's the paradox of landscape painting as well. Like, doesn't yeah. matter how big you make the painting, it's not as big as the last I can't remember one. if it was, like, was it Smithson? I th- I've quoted this on the podcast before, so, like, please refer to my, my earlier, more intelligent self. But it was uh, one of the landscape 
artist that said like the greatest work of art is the the American highway system. Be, you know, because again, it's like it's so experiential. There's no way you could ever mm-hmm. actually represent mm-hmm. it on a wall. Yeah, uh, and, and so. But then, but then TikTok is still a, in a two dimensional plane, so you could really say it is in the same mm-hmm. position as painting. Like you could hang an iPhone with TikTok next to a painting and see what it does to you, and like the highway system is a large physical structure. Yeah. Uh, no, no, I, and I, I know, um, you know, folks we've worked with before, been in exhibitions with before, I've done stuff where, like, they print out, like, you know, all their web history on a on a roll. Yeah. You know, rolls into the gallery or whatever. Yeah. Um, the vast but, content. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's definitely something <laughs> out there. I mean, personally, in my own practice, like, over the years, I've... I don't know if this still relates back to the question, but I've I've thought like, hey, no one object should be forced to contain all. Well, I started when I started out. By the way, I was like, every frame of video needs to like be a work that stands on its own. But I've like, you know, they always talk about like artists loosening up over time. Like, um, I think that's one of the things for someone, you know, like our um, like Nadine, which is like you're there's like this pressure to be really tight. Like people are going to ask you, why did you do this? Why did you do that? Like early in your career. Right. And you, you, you like, there's a false trap at least. And I'm not, this is not advice hopefully, but like just something that's happened to me. Like the false trap was, I thought I had to have an answer for everything. And then I think like over time you, you remove, you start to remove and simplify your work for this reason, which is a good thing, actually, because you try and do too much well, early on. I, right? It sounds and, to me like a lot of it is about expectations. So if you start out making yeah. work and you have hope of uh, ending up in the Guggenheim, then any step you do is frustrating because you're not there yet. Yeah. And yeah, I, I don't know if you. Well, the, there's this great quote from. Um, the, this guy that has this podcast about design, 99% uh, Invisible. Um, and he says, um, you know, like, why, are do, why do so many young designers and artists have imposter syndrome? And he's like, because they often have really good taste. Like, they can spot good art, right? Like, that's kind of what draws them to it in the first place. They're like, whoa, I want to do something like that. But the, And so, but their skills haven't caught up with what they want to achieve. And so, as they're making... And the skills are also thinking skills. Yeah, they're like, oh, I know this isn't good, and like, because it's not as great as that thing and that also someone not, did. Like, not everybody who starts with art ends up doing it their whole life. For some people, it's like, well, I tried it for a few years, and then it wasn't as fun. And yeah, yeah, but like having that taste level or knowing what's good is the first step, like on a journey. Well, right? and, like, and then there's the expectation of making a living out of it, mm-hmm. which. Is a really false expectation. Well, it's also, <laughs> as, as I grow older, I, I see that um, there's tons of people who can make a living with art by making bad art and even being aware of it, but just seeing it as a product. And yeah. that's totally fine. It's like, oh, I, I make decent public sculptures, but they're not going to change art history, but they serve a purpose because that square needs a sculpture. And that's totally fine. It, yeah, so... I guess sure. and maybe what I'm saying is that the, the only thing that helps is thinking in small steps. Yeah, there is like a book, though, like if you just want to know what everyone has read, like, like there's that book that everyone in art school reads, I think. 
you're in if like Nadine's in her first few like few months of an MFA, um, you know, it's that book on like art and art history. Um, it's like the last 100 years of art history and theory. It's like the the standard book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jansen or something. Ugh, it's up here on my bookshelf and I can't see it. Yeah. But, um, like, it's not a secret. Like, most people have read that. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe a couple other things. And it's hard to read. Honestly, it's not taught well either because just knowing what I know about social theory, and this is not me, like, being... It's just that I started with social but it's sociology. But it's a good point you made about most theory in the art world is not art theory. No, then no that's it's the mostly thing. social it, it, It's funny. I, I, always, I was always thinking about it. You just said it. I never put it to words in that sense. And it's, uh, so much of it is economic theory, political theory. All these things have nothing to do with art. And yeah, it's like, and, I'm a Marxist. Wait, yeah, wait a second, and, that's not art theory. The, the problem with that whole premise is that anything in life is more important than art. Like medical theory is more important than art. We need to, if someone breaks their leg and you can help them to walk again, that's more important than a still life or, of an orange. So well, also artists are terrible at writing. No, I know, I know. But the problem is if you're in a classroom and a couple of people are like, I like the glow of a banana on a next to a strawberry and that, that tension between those two colors is yeah, what I'm gonna yeah. dedicate my life to. And someone else is like, People are starving. How can yeah, you yeah, talk yeah. about that? You should give the banana to someone who needs it instead of uh, painting it. And maybe that's a somewhat of an answer to the art history question as well. No, I think I think it is like, which is like, hey, don't worry. And also, like, people are, con- you know, anything that you're experiencing was what those theorists were trying to write about, like, in the first place. Like, so they're literally trying to put words to the things that people, you know, that couldn't be explained. And then artists eventually, and it's mostly art historians, frankly, and then like, and curators, specifically curators, I think. The bureaucrats, terms of like, that's what you described. You know, that were like trying, but they were also trying to position artists, like you said, more valuable than it had been previously um, kind of uh, valued. So like, hey, look, this artist is no, actually... securing do- their own position. Somewhat, yeah, yeah, I know, but it's like it's all still about like circling the wagons and making and like creating a, a platform for like this is important, right? Yeah. Um, and you know, like for example, we could go back to like the classic examples, the Salon de Refusé, right? Like that the abstract works couldn't make it into the you know main this salon. Is not art. Yeah, this is not art, and so like it, you know, it took like. My 30, 40 years, yeah, for people to write about and say, no, actually, this art is even more meaningful. Or like, yeah, exactly, a kid could do this. No, no, that's cubism. It's like, it's something a camera can't present or something, right? So it does. there, is, there are writers out there that are making sense of whatever yeah. you're doing as an artist, which is great, because you're like, hmm, I'll just like wait around for someone else to write about this. And honestly, that's like, honestly, the biggest privilege when it does happen that like I will have sometimes... I've had a few occasions where people have written about my work. I think you've had quite a few as well. And you're like, ooh, I didn't even see that. (laughs) Well, yeah, but but to the question, when I was in art school, I definitely went to the computer because there was less history. So I I grew up knowing a lot about the history of painting and then feeling like there's nothing I can contribute because they, they, they tried all the colors. Which color should I try? Can I share a secret story then in that regard? Like okay. just a, um, which was that when I finished my MFA, which Nadine, Nadine just starting, I, yeah, I was like, you know, I was kind of ahistorical. 
But for my final review panel, I was like, ooh, I better like get an essay together and make sure that like I position my work like as if it's academically important. And my advisor at the time, um, you know, like I quoted a bunch of authors in my in my writing and I'm on panel. I was like, yeah, this is about that. This is and they're like, wait a second, how come you haven't mentioned any of these people in the last three years? <laughs> it's like I reverse engineered um the theory, you know, to make sense of my work. Yeah. And that that didn't change the value of the work, by the way. That's back to sales. That, that at that point you're selling. Well, it's funny too because I've done many artist talks over the years, and then like when I talk about my work, I still sometimes use some of those references, and people are like, "Wow, I have a way greater appreciation for your work now that I know uh, it's tied." But to, that's like, sales to me. That's name drop. I hate it when people are like mediocre artists, and they're like, "Yeah, I was wrestling with Matisse," and then exactly, I digested, exactly. I that's why I'm sharing Brock, it. As, and it's it's like, a it's a shameful it's secret. Very cheap sales tech. <laughs> it's almost like. Let's say you're playing basketball and you're not that good at it, but you're like, yeah, I was wrestling with LeBron, LeBron James in my mind. It's like saying his name doesn't make you better. No, but at the uh, but I also realized over time that like some of the there are some really base level principles that I was aware of, but not consciously in writing, and those did I still those things have remained yeah. true, right? So but I do it, less of yeah. the quoting. If you if you're using art history and mentioning things to reveal your thought process, and then people don't only see the conclusion, oh, but they see the train of thought. Just uh, for our listeners, or for you, Raf, um, Kristen's just coming in here. It's okay. Do you want to pause? No, it's fine. But what's the... Is it a voice computer that we're hearing? Uh, well, Kristen unlocked the door electronically, and for some reason oh. that also triggered um, our good friend from Amazon. Yeah, yeah, something. yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. The Jetsons, yeah. It's a Bill... Yeah, it's the Bill Gates house from the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> I think our listeners will appreciate us keeping that in. Okay. Yeah. But the the... The question of art history being a burden or a resource, it's its really up to you, anyone listening. Like it, it's really different per person. I, I know I was happy that I rolled into the computer when there was not so much visual history, so there was a lot of new stuff to try. Um, so happy about that. And like you're in an emergent medium. and uh, Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's the way I felt about it too. Honestly, I, when I started, I was like, no one's ever done this before. That was. <laughs> yeah. So it's I a new genre. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like I was like, I'm inventing something that no one's ever done. And I yeah. honestly felt that way. Later, I found out obviously there was other, you know, earlier experiments. And then that was kind of exciting and validating, but it had nothing to do with why I started. That's, in the first that's place. how I felt when I did deeper research into screensavers. There were all these decisions in low computer visuals. Like, mm -hmm. oh, you can't, the, the computer's limited, so how do you suggest movement that happens at the same time all over the screen? And I saw all these decisions that I had been trying, but I didn't know someone did that before. So I guess... But it kind of, like, all the fun is in doing it and uncovering it yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. And so yeah. had I done too much, maybe that's back to the New York question, like, if you do too much research, maybe you ruin it. Yeah, I mean, I used to start out, like, every time I start a new project and I still kind of in the same way I'd be like what am I gonna like what am I gonna explore today like what might be possible right and I just like I really I'm always trying to get back to that I don't know if you are too but like that childlike sense of wonder is like kind of a, a cheesy line but like getting back to that place of just curiosity driving me forward 
And I always find that like I do way better work. And sometimes it's like faster too. Like I'm not worried about making sense of it. I'm just like, this feels good. This feels right. Um, well, that's the message to, to our listeners or to anybody that this, uh, I mean, the whole idea that we ask people to ask you questions means that questioning something. So that's healthy. Mm-hmm. But you shouldn't question so much that you don't know what to do. No. That's what it, I don't know how Nadine is feeling and how she's doing, but it it's a lot of the questions about um, what method can you use to get better and I don't know. It's yeah. it's very difficult. To, like I guess I'm, I I always come back to the same line. Though, I mean, I guess like, Kristen should do the podcast because she's a teacher. She would know the answer. <laughs> no, she wouldn't. She would. Well, she would. Like that's not how teaching's done anymore. Anyway, it's about creating space for others. Like it's really obsolete. Well, this idea of teaching that where you pour knowledge the, into but people. But the problem like a with with creating space is uh, if the school is so expensive, then it's very artificial. Then it's very hard to persist mm. after school. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, even I, in design. I, I went to this school in, in Fort Worth with, uh, in, and we both went there, and it's just wonderful resources, like the best computers, the best labs for anything you want to do and then after school is like oh shit what do i do now yeah mm, yeah i visited a lab like that recently here in toronto you're like wow like, this is amazing i wouldn't they had like here. oh they had like robots from for, like factories like they, that they were using like to 3d print they're like we reconfigured this automotive robot to yeah. like print giant chairs and <laughs> yeah. i'm like what and i was like can i get access they're like well it's only for students it's yeah. like do students use it very often well they don't really have time I'm like, this is crazy <laughs> Why can't I be uh, yeah, here? Yeah, Why can't I use this? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's... Yeah, while you're in school, take advantage, I guess. Maybe that's the other thing. Like just like, I remember being so in school and uh, some people, ex-students, would use certain uh, uh, workshops and mm-hmm. they would act kind of high and mighty because they were more established. So they're like, oh, I'm going to use the wood workshop today. Oh, and yeah. I'm like, you're not paying tuition. Why the fuck are, do I not get access? This is not fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they would be like, "Move along, kitty. Let the professionals <laughs> use the machine." Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of that, like gatekeeping of technologies. It's so stupid. I was yeah. like that early on. That was the one thing that I was really vehemently against because I just noticed that there were some people who would blame themselves for like, "I'm not smart enough to use this machine," and then other people would be like, "Get out of my way! I don't know how to use it, but I'm going to figure it out." Yeah, but and, it, 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 yeah. The, the hip-hop analogy, you think back to the idea of a rap battle, mm-hmm. without sounding very cringe, I've never been at a rap battle. But you oh, don't, I actually have, yeah. But you don't go to a rap battle saying, like, please be nice, I'm very sensitive. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And like, if you're you, actually supposed to take down the other person. Yeah, and so if you approach art making as like, I don't feel comfortable because there's so much history, like, I don't know if that's the right personality type, but I, I, I don't want to... Sound dismissive, what, but do you know what I mean? Like, if someone is like, "I want to get into hip hop, but I'm really scared of the battle," and like, well, that's I don't know. I think it's natural, though. Like, I, I've definitely felt that way. Even sometimes talking with you on the podcast because you have different art no, historical background. I, than I, I know, do. and of course, everybody has insecurities. But if you if you're a personality that just never is comfortable to mm. rhyme in front of an audience. Like, oh, I see. Yeah. That, that's what I'm talking about. Like, if, if you're not someone who is like, I want to hang a drawing on the wall, but please don't say anything mean. Or, mm-hmm. it, like, well, here's the thing about that, though, is like, of course, that feels extremely uncomfortable for the first like little while. I don't think anyone would say like, 
oh yeah, I love it when people beat up my work. Like eventually you hear that and you're like, are you sure? <laughs> but like, it's well, something you I, I desensitize over time. My mental trick uh, with critique, whatever, is I would always question, does that person like anything in this realm that I'm doing? Because if they don't, like, if they're really not into... Well, why are you trying to please that person? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, and maybe that's a way to deal with art history. It's like, there's people making giant steel structures as artworks, and they're probably not going to like animated GIFs. And so that's okay. Like, Richard Serra is not into animated GIFs. That's okay. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I'm not that into Richard Serra. So if he would look at my work and be like, Oh, this is just eye candy. It's empty. Whatever. I'd yeah, like, you got to find your 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 group. Like, so maybe you have maybe that's the most encouraging thing I could say is find your own art history or your own area because art history is so big and vast that uh, it doesn't make sense to be like, well, I made some gifts, but I'm not as good as Leonardo. So yeah, I'm so like jealous in a way because I mean I I don't feel like. Um, well, the NFT thing was the most recent thing for you, right? Where you kind of fell into a new subculture. Yeah. But I don't even know where I would find that now. Like, I feel like... Um, like awkward software presenter art? Like, I'm, I mean, exactly like corporate <laughs> awkward software <laughs> presenter. Like, sometimes uh, over time people come to you. I've met, obviously I have like friends and they'll be like, you should meet so-and-so. They're doing this extremely weird thing. But early on, it was so exciting just to like, we've talked about it many times on the podcast, but just to fall into a community like on Facebook or yeah. whatever and be like, oh my God, there are all these people that are really excited to do the same thing. But here's an example. Like, I thought I was pretty good at cooking because I'm from the Netherlands and all the food is bad. So I was like, oh, I can make a decent meal. Mm-hmm. And then Christina is a much better cook than I am. And she's quite critical so then i make something and she's like she's like she says it's nice but her body language is like oh i have to get through this meal (laughs) and then i get really upset and more and more and like not that thrilled about my cooking if i'm cooking for myself it's fine it sounds often when people ask us questions on the podcast that they're at the level of how i feel about cooking and so I never think like, oh, I wish I could be a chef because I'm not that comfortable with my cooking and how other people see it. I'm fine making something for myself, but I don't think it's great. Hmm. And so if you're at that level of confidence, but then you're like, yeah, I want to make a living out of art. I think it's unrealistic. That's maybe my gut feeling with a lot of like people go to art school that are at the level of art confidence that I am with cooking. And I just don't think I want to be dedicate my life to cooking. Yeah, but how would you know until you go on? You the know because yeah. you make stuff and people say stuff about it, and you get really upset. That's like oh. Christina. Christina will critique. I'll make some fried eggs, and they're like too crispy or whatever. And you're saying like, and I get you, really upset. And like, you should I, be like, oh, but why? And like, well, you I'm, know, try I'm and saying fix the eggs. I'm, I'm, I can make some meals like it's edible, but it's not mm-hmm. great. And I know that. And, I, and you, you don't want to get. Any you have to cook in the day to day, but I'm not like. I want to be the world's best chef. And I think there's something with art that a lot of people are at a really bad place with the making, but still decide they want the life of an artist. Like that's maybe, Mm. I don't know. I think it's a bit harsh because like early on in my uh, MFA, I had someone that was kind of nurturing me and like in my corner that believed in me. And while my ideas were fragile, you know, even though they were bad, like I remember I became their assistant, then they died. And I remember that thinking to myself years later, like, they were lying to me. My work was terrible. Because no, I look no, no. back on it. I think they were judging you by your age and your experience level. So 
I, I think when you see a group of a, a year of students and mm -hmm. it's all pretty bad, but some are better than others, you could see the trajectory, like give this five years and it'll be in a different place. So I think that person was looking at it mm -hmm. from that point of view. No, that's like, a really interesting There's point. an original spark. I'm just saying, I know what it feels like to be insecure about something, which is when I cook for Christina or other people, it's, it's not my thing. I, and I'm also very critical because I love good food. So I know what it's supposed to be. So it, it, this is an example where I know too much of the theory and I'm not that good at the making. Mm -hmm. And so I, I don't want to discourage anyone from sending in questions, but it feels often that <laughs> the level of confidence of the people who want to be a professional artist is, is out of balance. Like... I don't know if that's true, I, I, but I, I feel yeah, like but I just think it's like natural at, at I know, every but, level but of your career. Like you, you, you are not. Like, you've played basketball with friends, but you were never under the assumption that you'd be a professional. I've never played basketball. With friends. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but I'd like. But to. Or, or or become a professional classical piano. Player. No, but like, what, what is professional, right? Like, no, where do you making draw a that living line? out of it, being full time. Mm, I don't think that's fair because they're you know like. Personally, as someone who can't make a living with the cost of living what it is out of being an artist, I still am showing in yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, no, no, galleries but... and museums all over the world. Okay. And I wouldn't, no one would say, like, I'm not like an artist because the government has, like, even the government recognizes you after a certain point. Like, I, and I remember actually, like, here's a, here's a, like, not a, you can't tell, I mean, I'm not no, going to say I, it's a good I, point, but like, it's a do you remember point. when you first called yourself an artist? Like, it wasn't right away. I, I was already in my MFA, like, a couple years. I don't even think I called myself an artist while I was in my MFA. I felt very uncomfortable with that term. I was like. Yeah, because it's a compliment. So, it, like, when you say, oh, this chef is so amazing, or this, this home builder is so amazing, he's a, he or she is an artist. So people often use the word artist as a compliment and not a category. So it's yeah. weird calling yourself. It's like saying you're a genius. Well, yeah, actually, I'm very critical, by the way, of that word genius, because like eventually people started using that word on you know certain occasions. And I would be over time. I've, at first, I was like, ooh, that feels good. But then later I realized it was really harmful because I put a lot of effort into the type of thinking the get you know where you get to an idea that people are like how did you get to that idea it's like well i worked for like 10 years like experimenting yeah uh experimenting and the is, is the good word like i i just hope that the whole message like, if people are enjoying the experimenting and it and they don't have expectations of it succeeding the idea of an experiment is it could go right could go wrong mm -hmm. that's the state of mind and then whatever art history or gallery or community or whatever but if if you would do it without the outside appreciation, but you'd still want to do it, that's, to me, the... Yeah, I think of art, being an artist is the closest thing to, like, constantly prototyping and never yeah, really yeah, yeah. achieving, like, yeah. the final result, you know? And without a business plan, without, yeah, without expectations. And eventually, like, yeah, hopefully a business plan finds you. That's why I was, like, a little bit, like... Whenever I try and fit into a business plan, like my work is really bad and I can I can line it all up for like 20 years. I'll be like, tried to make money, tried to make money. And those are like mm -hmm. the ones I hide on my website and like I never talk about. Yeah. And they're just the but worst. But the, again, there are plenty of examples of artists needing money, changing their work for okay. it and it becoming okay. better. Like I, yeah. I think Magritte was an example where he had his day job painting as a commercial painter as clear as possible, but his own work was more 
uh, expressionist, so like rough brush strokes, and mm-hmm. and then he applied his commercial style to his fine art making, like his his dream sequences, and it turned out that sharp style of painting was much more was a much better fit, and mm-hmm. and that's what made it. So it was a commercial influence, and it was a good influence. It was the right decision. Yeah. 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 But uh, I I don't want to be dismissive of anybody's question. I I just sometimes I like this question. Well, sometimes I'm of the opinion everybody should make art, but I don't think anybody should see it as a full time lifestyle thing. Like, well, last thing here, which is like you know, how often have you taken non artists or like early, you know, like friends and family to a museum? Like, how often have you been in that scenario? Well, my parents are artists, so that's a little oh, different. Okay, yeah, but people who are not artists. Like you know, like maybe I'll just speak oh, never. from my own experience. I, I, I like, don't, I don't like, I, I don't like I've convincing had, people in general. Okay, because I've had you know like friends that I've taken, or even people that are a little earlier in their career to museum, and like I see that museum through completely different eyes than they do, and that's just because of like a like a, a like a lifetime of being an artist and like oh, you should look at so-and-so, or you read this little snippet here or there, and it's just because, like, Nadine's feeling overwhelmed. Like, it's like going into an art museum and having no context of why the hell these things are the way they are. That's how most of the world feels. Like, yeah, we, we do take that the, for granted. The counter-argument, I would say, is that there's also... You're taught respect through art history. Like, oh, this seems very easy, but actually it was very hard because they went through all this suffering and whatever. <laughs> and... It can also turn you into a fake appreciator where you, you become so respectful and then it's the emperor's new clothes effect where it's like, oh, but you don't understand. This is genius. And someone yeah, without the history would walk in and be like, no, that's very shallow. What are you talking about? But that's what that's the main point I wanted to make, actually. And Kristen oh, taught me this because she was an art educator. like So she worked in museums when I met her. And it was like having an opinion that was negative about the art was okay. Like you could not like something you're like but you're right like most of the narrative is like you should like all these things well i i think the the best way is to not choose liking or disliking but to dissect things and say like this is innovative but not so poetic this is poetic but not so groundbreaking this is derivative but very passionate and like it's not binary things are good or bad no no all i mean is if you approach history as if it's precious yeah. Like you're doing yourself a great disservice to yeah. like disservice to your curiosity, which might lead you somewhere. Yeah, and it can be very demotivating because it's like, totally. oh, there's all these heroes, they invented all these things. What can I contribute? Yeah. Yeah, that's the number one thing. Like when I'm done studio visits with with folks in their MFAs where it's like, you know, like everything's been done because you like immediately I'll like rattle off a bunch of references or whatever, right? Yeah. Like, oh have you seen Joy Kill. <laughs> like I got yeah. this great idea. Well, have you seen such and such? Well, also, like, the worst insult that you could, you know, you can pay someone is, like, that works derivative of someone greater than you, right? Yeah. And that's unfortunate when that happens, <laughs> like, and it should, it, but it's completely irrelevant because you're going to bring something different to it. Um, and usually I'm sharing those references sometimes because I'm like, oh, like you said earlier, like, this person was exploring this, like, the screensaver situation, and you might be interested in what they found out. Like, it's the same research topic, but it's not the same result, right? Yeah. Um, anyway, I do. Uh, I just still think it's like, 
it's it's still hard to consume all of that and don't worry about it. It's just like um, yeah, but then I, I make th- friends with history. I think the the question is more about worrying and not that much about art history. It's like, how do you teach someone not to worry? Yeah, it's like how do you teach someone to go to the beach? You know, you gotta just like get your your hands dirty. Get don't worry about the sand in your toes or whatever. Like. Um, I feel like that's something you would have told me. <laughs> Jeremy, I don't prepare to go to the beach in Brazil. The beach prepares me. Yeah. Um, but no, but I do see, um, even in the generative art space, where the, the threshold is lower than a, a museum show, let's say, mm-hmm. and people still work up and be like, I worked on this algorithm for 12 years, and they, they want to make it into a very heavy thing and not playful. So maybe that's the, the difference between I'm talking about being playful. That's that's maybe the best word. It's like, yeah, yeah, playfulness. Yeah. And I, I think that's what you mentioned. Like you can read all the Derrida you want, but if it's not playful, <laughs> yeah, that's what I meant by like being loose earlier. Like, yeah, over time you loosen up a bit. Like, yeah, but I don't. Th- I think that that's the issue where I cringe a little bit with helping people. I yeah. feel like I don't know if that can be taught. That's because playfulness is is. Um... Think about drawing though. Like you know, when people first start to draw, they they draw with an abs- it's almost a comical amount of precision. Like you know. Oh, I think children actually are the most playful. So exactly, exactly. No, yeah. what I mean when they first try and become good at drawing, oh, like yeah. they draw a grid and whatever. Of course, when they start as children, they're fluid and free, and they they come off. You know, they they accidentally stumble into all kinds of really wonderful uh, expression. But like, <clears throat> you know, like as a as you progress with drawing, and I always think of drawing as thinking because Milton Glaser said that. Yeah. But you loosen up and you like you start to like hash out a line, like, and you don't worry that there's marks on the page where they, you know, you you never use. An, Kristen used to say you can't use an eraser if you're learning to draw, right? Because mm-hmm. if you correct a line, you're essentially no longer responding to the line in real time, and you're like you're you're self editing. So. I think, yeah, just like, it's like a life drawing class. But that's what I mean when I say having fun. It's not necessarily fun as in eating a birthday cake. It, it's uh, it's more complicated than that. But if it's not playful, it's like listening to a musician that is reading the notes but not really playing music. Yeah. Yeah, they're not interpreting it. They're not enjoying it. Like, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, we always say the same thing, which is have fun, be yourself. It's like, <laughs> yeah, Michael Jordan was right, or whoever said that, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> don't do drugs. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, just say no. Yeah. <laughs> just say no. <laughs> These maxims, like, yeah, but I think, like, that's why I cringe because I don't know how to help. That's, uh, yeah. Well, I think, yeah, help yourself is like your your help. Yeah. <laughs> your version of help. And if, if you're not having fun, don't worry about it. Just uh, become an accountant. Hey, hey, I worked on accounting software. Yeah. It can be fun, too. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's what I'm saying. And, and No, but what I'm saying is at least you get paid for your time. Yeah, yeah. You st- yeah, I don't know. There's lots of ways. There's no right way. Yeah. Okay, well, thanks for the question, Nadine. I, I really enjoy these types of questions. Um, Raf, I know you do too secretly, but we have to present both points of view. Yeah, I just don't know how to help. Sorry. (laughs) Um, And thanks for sending in questions. I think we now have almost completed the questions that have come in. So if anyone's thinking about a question, please send it on over. It can be written. We love hearing from you. We also love field recording. So hearing what you're hearing um, and just being with you. Um, 
So please send those over. Anything else? No, that sounds good. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you. See you next time. Bye. Bye.